Yeah, what's up, everybody? Uh, this is uh, Jeff um, from the Trauma Informed Podcast. In today's show, we have Aspen and Wren, two SoundCloud, um, actually a SoundCloud uh, rap duo out of uh, Washington State in the Seattle area. And on this episode, we talk about SoundCloud rap, um, drug addiction, trauma, and recovery, as well as harm reduction and uh, bipolar. Listen in. And um, Okay, well, what's up? Nice to, yeah, nice to connect with you guys. Oh, wonderful. Thanks for having a little meeting with us, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. So uh, do you want to, you uh, um, <laughs> just a little bit tongue-tied, do you, do you have any questions for me before we get going? Um, not really, man. I just thought it was kind of cool how, uh, like I said, I saw your Reddit post and you were like, yeah. Hey, like I, I got really into like the underground just music scene, low peep and stuff like that. And that's actually when me and him started talking a lot is when, uh, Suicide Boys and Low Peep and Ghost Man and all those guys started getting big. That was like, our niche in the music. we were like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Like we bonded over that a lot. Oh, no, so, sweet. Yeah. Actually, bef- before that, the other thing I was going to say that actually connects me to a little bit of this before when I first heard about like. I don't know when I first heard about SoundCloud, but I, I used to work at this program for teenagers that had like, well, it was young adults too in like the early 20s and teenagers with that had, uh, that got uh, different drug problems. And a, a lot of them were like, or had, were like kind of wannabe rappers and had their SoundClouds. And this, yeah. this particular place is more, uh, more Latino and uh, uh, black, black guys. But, but then, I've also worked at some other rehabs. I'm in the Miami area and like South Florida is kind of South Florida and LA are like the two biggest oh, yeah. rehab meccas in the country. And there I noticed more about the kind of the white uh, SoundCloud kind of guys. And I didn't realize yeah, how yeah. big it was until I never heard about little people. Like I said, when he was alive and then, yeah, I mean, to me, honestly, initially I looked at him, I was like, well, like, why is everybody making such a big deal about this guy? Well, it did, it was curious. I'd never heard of him. And then I looked at, I listened to his music and I mean, I grew up in the more of the nineties hip hop era and like a lot of the nineties, like people like will hate on that stuff, but I found it really catchy and, and some of the lyrics are interesting. I mean, I like the kind of punk kind of rock influences in it and yeah and then the other thing uh that also about it is to me i thought it was yeah the whole kind of uh i don't know if you guys are familiar with the whole kind of harm reduction approach to drugs are you familiar with that in, in this like what kind of sense like in the sense of well i mean there's a movement behind it but i mean in the sense of that it's sort of the belief that there's a few, a few different elements to it but but that it can be kind of problematic to tell people to just that are using drugs just to stop and they have to get sober and this kind of thing and, yeah yeah and that that was uh, yeah that was a really big problem like uh because i have almost three years coming off off of coke and, and meds okay. that was like I think I had probably three or four like real sit downs from like friends that were like, dude, you need to get clean. Like, this is ruining you. And I didn't want to hear that. I was like, right. you don't know. What <laughs> so it was like, finally, like when I woke up on my birthday with hives, like itching, I was like, I'm done. dude. This, yeah. this is over. And I think, yeah, I think, yeah, nothing's going to good. is going to come from just like, sitting people down and telling them not to do what they think is right. Like if you look at little people, like he overdosed on Xanax that was fentanyl, I think. 
Exactly. No, that, yeah, it was. Fentanyl yeah, and Xanax. Exactly. And, yeah. Like, yeah, and on the outside for us, it's super easy, like, because we, we don't know the nitty-gritty of his addiction or anything like that. Like, right. We just see him partying it up, living the tour life. But I, after he died, there were so many people just, like, commenting on forums about, like, it would be so easy. Why did he take the Xanax? Like, he should have just not done it. It's like, it's... Like, ruts and all that? Yeah, it's like... How it's, many Xans you got to take before you realize you're fucking dumb or something? Yeah, like it's that. like, how... It's not that easy. It's like you can't just sit there and tell little people, like especially with all of his friends, just surrounding him and like pumping him full of the drugs. Like I don't, yeah, I don't think it, it was like a recipe for disaster. No, but, but the Nothing. but the other element to harm reduction is, uh, I mean, is, is behind it is really it's for advocating for her. her. Hair is getting a little crazy here. Advocating for uh, really at least uh, there's different views on it, the regulation or decriminalization, but it's basically, uh, it's the, also the idea for the most part that, uh, that having this illegal market of drugs is more, uh, is one of the major, a lot of the harms could be avoided if you had more of a regulated supply of, uh, of drugs. That this, this underground yeah, market is I'm, more, is very harmful and it creates a lot of problems. It's, I mean, yeah, just in the sense of like going to get illegal drugs is like, like if you're an addict, it's a part of the joy. It's going to get something. That's true. Yeah, like, I'd <laughs> say starting stuff like that. There's a thrill. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I remember the first when I was like 16. The first drug deals I went on, it was like, whoa, man, yeah. this is real life. Like this is cool. But yeah. yeah, I think like with cannabis becoming regular, like in like legal, there's not a bunch of shady drug deals going on on the street. So I can definitely see like. With it being like people are getting incarcerated for so long over like them having an addiction, right? Like if you're living through addiction for eight years, you become on this like go homeless and yada this, yada that. Like if the system isn't supporting you enough to like get through it, like rehab, like finding a bed in a rehab center, especially over here on the West Coast, is like almost impossible, man. Like it's so hard to do. There's one to maybe two beds available in like Everett, anywhere right. else, like Seattle at all times. So it's yeah, I think if, uh, like, they want to have, I think there's already a couple, but, like, the clean injection sites have already reduced. Yeah, yeah, like, like for example, the, the, I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's, like, another, uh, that's an element of harm reduction. That, that kind of stuff got passed, and really, the, yeah. the interesting, I've never, I've been to Oregon, but the Seattle area in the U.S. is kind of one of the, the hotbeds of that uh, activism, historically, and uh, and then, I don't know if you guys are familiar with in. Shit, I can't think of the name of it right now, but it's in Vancouver. It's like uh, it's like the the longest the, the name. It it's annoying me. I can't think of the name off the top of my head. But it's it's the, the longest running safe injection center in North America. It's in Vancouver. Okay, yeah. that's cool, man. That's really cool. Yeah, I think I think those things can be stuff like that can be super beneficial. I've I used to be actually like super against that. I felt like not even that long ago, like two years ago, man. I was like clean injection sites, like stuff like that, like handing out needles and syringes and stuff like that. That was like right. the worst idea in the world. It's like asking to enable it. No, that's complete. Well, if you have an addiction, you're going to do it anyways. You're going to go do it. You're going to find and it if, the worst way possible. Yeah. It's the only way to do it. If you're going to have to use your four-day-old cloggy syringe that three other people have used, you're going to use it because you're right. an addict. You need to get what you need. So, I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's way less people walking around with giant sores on their arms from injection sites and stuff right. like that. Just they can get clean stuff. And you can even take it to the sense, like, we have so many 
like just abandoned buildings around Seattle that aren't doing anything that are just sitting there that we could. No, I, I couldn't think it was annoying me. I had to look it up. It was called, it's called Insight, the, the, the place in Vancouver. Insight. Yeah. Okay, here, let me, I'm going to note that down. And your, is it uh, Ren short for Ronaldo? What? Uh, short for Renato. Renato, okay. You're from the Seattle area too? Yeah, I've grown up in Washington my life. Cool. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing I was going to mention, how far are you guys from Seattle? Like 20. Yeah, we're uh, like right outside Seattle. So we live in Mukilteo. Well, both of us pretty much live in yeah, Mukilteo. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like, like you get on the highway, drive south, you're there in like 20 minutes. Okay, no, no. Well, the other thing I was going to bring up related to this topic in uh, your area is uh, Kurt Cobain. Were you ever? Uh, you guys are a different generation, but he was. Uh, and I see some parallels between like how he was kind of like. I mean, he got a little bit older. He didn't die as young as Little Peep, but he was in a way. I feel some parallels yeah. between their lives. Yeah, it was like I, I think Kurt Cobain and Little Peep and. I mean, just any kind of young musician like Juice World that kind of that just dies too quick. And I yeah. mean, all had very different deaths. Like Juice World consumed a ton of drugs to hide on a plane and overdose. Lil Peep, Xanax. Yeah. yeah, and then Kurt Cobain shot himself. So yeah. I think even though they all have like different deaths, it's all, you can kind of see how the reckless lifestyle of just getting into drugs and I don't know, like, like Kurt Cobain, he... I, I think from the outside, like he wasn't as as like an adult. You need to take care of yourself. Mentally. You need yeah. to do what you need to do to make sure that you're going to do what you're doing. When you have your passion and drugs intertwined with I'm a growing yeah. adult, like Kurt Cobain wasn't very young. I don't know his exact age, but I know no, 27. I think. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's yeah, like I don't think 27s like. I, I don't know if I'll have my like whole life together at 27. That's not no, I mean, it's still, like, it's still relatively young, but it's not, not you're still in your twenties. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think they're good. Like, well, not good. It's terrible. If you think of it, like it sucks what happened to them, but it's a really good example of like, if you don't take care of yourself and you just go, 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 go. And don't like look around. Like if let's just say like Lil Peep, if homeboy would have just kind of slowed down and like, he even like, there's clips of him. I've seen, like, we watched the documentary together of him talking. I about watched it too. I it. Yeah. Okay. So you remember the part where he was talking about how he was, he would just go cry in his closet because there were so many people at his house in his bed. And he was just uh, like, maybe I missed that part, but yeah, <laughs> there was, yeah, it was like little snippets of that. I think actually, no, 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 now I do remember and that. But, just um, like the music yeah. and everything caught up so fast. No, 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 now I, I do kind of remember it because they were talking about how he had all his whole crew with him in, in L.A. And, and he wasn't really about that. They just didn't really say no to anybody. Yeah, yeah, so there it is. Yeah. It's like, what do you think would have happened if Lil Peep said, no, get out of my house. Like, I'm making music by myself doing what I want to do. And it's like, at the same time, like how much of his, his addiction like led into like I know when I was going through addiction, it didn't matter who was around me. I didn't care if they were like had They're committed two murders or yeah, it was just like cool. They have the thing that I need, or they do the things that I need. Let's just hang out with them. So it was really sad. Like that documentary really, really got me. It's yeah. As far as I know, there wasn't any on the topic of like harm reduction. What what choices did Lil Peep have as a what I think 20 years old, just full blown through addiction. Like he doesn't even know how to like 
get an apartment or anything yet. Right, but, age, but, but like, one, of the, one, of the th one of the things with the harm reduction, I don't know if you've seen in, the, in this the community at all, that I mean, I've seen some of the, there, there are people on Reddit that are, are about this kind of stuff, but it's like, I feel the people that are drawn to Reddit are a little bit more, would be more apt to this kind of stuff. The, they have like, they, they have like, te they test their own drugs. Like, have you ever heard of that? Yeah, thing? oh yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, me and him just went to a music festival like, five months ago it was like almost was it a year oh, okay it was, it was a long we it went to paradiso last paradiso and uh not familiar was, though where's that it's at the gorge it's, a, it's oh, like the a gorge nice. yeah and it's just like a, a big edm festival and it was insane how many people like there was uh weren't there fake drug testers like, yeah they were like hey if you come to my camp or give me a call we can do this yeah there was, was apparently just, a setup for a lot of people there was a ton of people just going around like testing people's drugs it was like it was actually security and stuff. it was yeah it was stuff. insane it was like they know that they're gonna do these drugs here so there's people going around and testing them but i'm all for it like people walked up to our tent and were like hey do you guys have anything we need to test we're like, no like we're we're okay we're just here for the music man but i like you gotta think how many like so many people died in overdose man before they were like dude we just gotta start testing this stuff like, i have friends that are still in that scene that are that have like the home test kits and that like go test it for other people just free right. charge. Yeah, it's like there's like a whole small movement of like like you can join Facebook groups and be like, hey, I have sure. this and this. Yeah, but like I don't do know, it. I don't know I how think, it would have worked. But like little peep, if he had like his manager, I mean, he probably little peep. Yeah, himself, yeah, like testing his thing. I think it could, was it know, supposed to be every time little peep wanted guy. to use like that, that's drugs to begin with. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's unfortunate. Like, yeah, yeah. I think. At the basis of it, I think if everybody was more educated on how drugs affect your body and why we go towards them, that may not have happened. Like, I remember when I was in school, drugs were like the only thing I knew about drugs was like huffing paint. That was like yeah. what I thought. Drugs were. How old are you now? I'm 21. So when I was in high school, like not even high school, it was like. What, what about you, Ron? I am also 21. Oh, nice. We're, we're 42 together. We're old. <laughs> but. It, they just didn't capture like the real life of why people do drugs and why you chase after drugs and the whole process of addiction and like how it's all just like a mental battle. It's not like you wake up in the morning and you're like, I want to be a heroin addict. That sounds right. so much fun. It's like, just constantly... <laughs> exactly. You're just you're trying to chase that first high and like I don't know all the trauma and stuff that's happened in your life to block it. They don't. In yeah, school, so they don't well, tell how, you well, that's well, we'll go with that. Well, how, how uh, yeah, tell me a little bit of since you, you, you reached out to me about, you were saying about the whole, uh, that you were homeless for a period of time. Oh, yeah. Smaller, so See, yeah. this correlates into it. Like, I, if I would have had more just, the only word I can think of is like kind of coaching throughout yeah. like, my early childhood, like elementary school and the beginning of middle school, I'm like, you're going to feel emotions that are strong when stuff happens to you in life and you cannot act on those. You can't just do that and cover it up. I didn't know what emotions were until I got into like high school and I was like, oh, I'm feeling these things because I'm a human and everybody feels these things. But yeah, when I was 13 years old, me and my mother, who we spent like a year on the streets. And so she was diabetic. When we, we grew up up until I was about 10. I'll, I'll back up a little bit. Yeah. We were living like we were just couch surfing because she was diabetic and she figured that out in jail when we were about 10. Oh, after she got out of jail, it was just kind of like super diabetic because of her alcoholism. Been out of jail, like didn't really have a whole lot of opportunity. So from 10 to 13, we just stayed with people. I ended up living in like an abandoned house with her. 
and then we moved next door to like a crack house and was this lived all there in Washington? Like, yeah this was all in washington um like north bend snoqualmie area south of seattle a little crack town man that's whack um and then at 13 like after living in the crack house and like little abandoned house and going through all that and at that time i didn't realize that that wasn't normal right? like, nobody in school is like coaching you through like what bad things are they're just like do your homework go to this so at this point i was in like eighth grade and bam i got hit with the streets so i was homeless with my mom and this is when like the true at this time as a 21 year old now that i'm clean and sober i can look back and be like i was scared so i was using drugs to keep me awake and do other things and i was hanging out with these people because they were like bigger and they would keep me safe but i didn't realize that when i was a kid i was like oh Okay, I'm gonna hang out with you. So I did the the whole streets thing. It was just survival tactics. It was just survival tactics, yeah. And it was just I had to do what I had to do. Um, I got like I would I wouldn't really like sell drugs, but I would. I had a a friend named Brandon, and Brandon would be like, "Here's the thing that I need you to go drop off to somebody. If you can go do this, I'll give you something." And I was like, right. and so I did that. And one time I was at the North Bend Library, man. And the guy that I thought was supposed to like, I was supposed to like trade with and go give Brandon back his money, he just walked up and poked me with a knife or some shit. Right? Wow. How old were you then? Right? This, I was 13 years old, man. And this was like downtown Snoqualmie. This wasn't like the hood. This wasn't like some crazy, like we live downtown Flint, Michigan. There's gangs everywhere. This was like our old retirement home. Wow. And drugs were still there and nobody was talking about it. Nobody. Cops would just drive by and ignore all the homeless people just sit there shooting up. You can just do it. It was there was no like Kingston, Bremerton, and that. Yeah, area. and it's at the same time there was no safe injection sites either. But anyways, so that happened and it wasn't like bad. It wasn't like nothing to like go go make a whole rap album about. Be like, I got stabbed on these streets. It was crazy. Like I didn't even know to go to the hospital. I was wearing a big coat and everything, but it was scary. It was a it was a big eye opener. I was like, this is what, what happens. Huh? You said you're wearing something. I was wearing a big because it was winter. I was wearing big like coat. a big Yeah, so it didn't – I – after talking with, like, Renato, like, we've looked at the scars. We've gone over it. Like, we think it's a box cutter. I don't know, man. I was 13. It was super dark, but nothing really happened physically. It was just a mental thing. Like, I was oh, like, sure. shit, like, this, this happens to people. Like, that could have been a gun. If it was a real knife. You could have if it was it. a real knife, yeah. If it wasn't just some, like, junkie trying to do some stuff. But that – like four months after that, it was just like selling drugs. Like I would sleep in a little laundromat sometimes because my mom had the, the one room that they would give you at the homeless shelter. And I was just like, I was, I was going through drug addiction. And I, at the time I was like, I want to go hang out with my friends. It was really because I just wanted to get high and I couldn't get high with my mom in a church. So after almost a year of being homeless and I got stabbed, my mom was just like degrading and worse and worse. She was diabetic on the streets. Like I would have to walk her around and make sure she got food and stuff like that. We, uh, there was like this Russian family that had just moved here and they lived like, up the road in this place called like Snoqualmie Ridge. And that's like the fancy part of Snoqualmie. And they were like, Hey, we have a room open. If somebody can come like babysit my two youngest kids while I go to work and you have our room. So me and my mom moved in there. We were there for like three months, man. So I was like, just before I turned 14, my mom went in the hospital and because she like her blood sugar was super low and they just brought her in there and kind of like rehydrated her got her all healthy again she was in there for a week and then i got an injury to my hand that got infected so i went in the same hospital with her for two weeks so she was in the hospital for a month the day we get out of the hospital 
we're going back to our place in Snoqualmie, and she's just like throwing up out of the taxi. This feels terrible. We go to my house, and I'm like, dude, you need to go back to the hospital. She's like, no, no, I'm fine. And I'm still like whacked out. Like the first thing I'm thinking about is like, I haven't been high in three weeks. I'm getting out of here, man. Like, who fuck this place. Like, hi, mom. And so we argue, and I didn't hear from him for like two days, man. And this is like the most like cliche like movie thing. Like we argued. I went to my homie's house. The fire department called us two later and was like, "Hey, your mom died. Wow. She went to a diabetic coma." Wow. And how long was that? That was in 2013, so it was about seven years ago now. And that is when like the true true drug addiction and all that started happening is that that was the first like real emotional trauma in my life. Not that being homeless and like my well, uncle again, again, the, 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 the box cutter thing. I mean, that's that. That's yeah. True. It's like that, that's all very trauma, but I mean, still that's not the stuff that like keeps me up at night. It's the right. fact that it's like, Oh, my mom died and there was nothing I could do about it. There was nobody to coach me after that happened. Like I immediately went back to school like the week after that happened and just was told just to kind of like, it'll get better. You'll, the pain will go away. It, it doesn't really like, you, like your mom's still going to always be dead. You're going to still miss out time with your parents and stuff like that. But what I'm getting at is there was like, there was no support. Like they would have me go to like a therapist office once a week. Right. And it was the most mundane, like clipboard. Like, are, right. you, are you okay? Like you're not going to kill yourself like right now, are you? And I'd be yeah. like, no. And was it got that, was like, that at school? Yeah, that was in school. And I had no idea where to go outside of, we were trying to get me into therapy but since my mom just died and i was almost 14 in guardianship was like black because we had no paper trail or anything i was just like they were like who are you like who is this kid where did you come from where were you living then so when my mom died we were like me and her were living on snoqualmie ridge i had a really good friend of mine like the day she died i was at his house and they kind of just tried to adopt me but the paperwork got really iffy and without saying too much, there was like background information that was needed and the sole guardian got sketched out for some reason and was like, mm, I can't pass this background check. I can't do it. Slowly, slowly evolved into me. Again, without me getting help, I just got worse, right? Like my mom died, I was going to school. There was no help. There was nobody here. And I don't blame the parents I was living with. Like if I just had a 14 year old kid, his parents died coming to my house, dude, I would have no idea what to do. I'd be like, shit, like, yeah especially if you just came off the street and stabbed and was doing drugs like that's a hard-ass little 13 year old kid like, that kid <laughs> runs that house and so i was lashing out and me lashing out was just doing a bunch of whatever pills i can get on at this point i didn't even like, like i didn't even know what coping meant. like i wasn't messing with that i was still like pills 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 so i was doing like percocet and stuff like that and the person who i was living with mom would have me get her pills and then we would like kind of just split it, right? I'd be like, hey, you can get this script for 200 bucks. Give me 10. And I'll see what I can do it. All right. And I was 13, man. Like, again, going through this because living on the streets and my mom dying, I thought this was just life. I thought every one of my 13-year-old friends just went crazy shit was just going on all the time. I thought Renato, 13, he was definitely selling his stepmom drugs. Like, I thought it was normal. And I didn't, because I didn't have any, like, it was such a pain in the ass for my guardian to get any sort of support before that even happened just because all the paperwork and all the guardian stuff guardianship information we needed just to like get me in the basic form of therapy it was a nightmare and it took months so i eventually like just started lashing out because i'd have anybody to talk to and i didn't know how to cope and i didn't think me taking the drug 
Bugs was coping, but I was coping. I was like, I don't want to feel these things. Let me take Percocet. Let me sell my stepmom Percocet so she won't bug me. And that, I mean, uh, how long do you think that relationship can last? That didn't last very long either. Our addictions both got really bad. And when I was at school one day, we just like, she called me and was yelling about something, wanting something, and I blew up on her. I was like, I can't live there anymore. And then this is kind of, I moved in with my, another good friend of mine, Zach, and his family. And they were like really well off. And they were like the nice, let's sit down at every dinner and have like, like talking to us, talk about our day and that kind of thing. And this is when I realized like how much my life had caught up with me as I lived with them for like maybe three months and they had given me everything in a sense that I needed. They were like, Hey, we love you. We're going to get guardianship of you. We're going to get you into therapy. We're going to do this and that. But I think like four years of my my addiction like i didn't really have a doa or anything yet but just doing drugs religiously and not coping with my actual emotions i couldn't handle that at that time so they were being like as lovey as you can man like giving what i would think probably the best thing you could do for a kid like that just being there for him they were just there for me wow, I agree with you. Yeah. and i took that like i don't know i guess i just took it personal and was like i can't do this this is too much you guys are attacking me wanting me to come down and okay eat dinner every night i can't handle this so uh both of the sons like who are my friends they both took like ritalin and so i got really 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 into taking their ritalin i wouldn't even like at first i wasn't even like taking it i would take and sell it for adderall i would get the 30 milligram instant release adderalls and that was like my shit i loved that in mm -hmm. senior year and eventually like i come home one day and my stepmom was like has all my paraphernalia laid out and she was like what is this? And I was like, shit, like, <laughs> you're right. And then, like, looking back on it now, that was a lot. Like, I don't, like, I don't know how I had so much stuff. It was, like, everything from, like, tobacco products. Like, I had chewing tobacco and empty packs of cigarettes to, like, two vapes to, like, empty bags of pills and coke and stuff like that. So they caught me doing that, and they gave me an ultimatum. And this is, like, this ultimatum made me who I am today. Like, if I didn't do this, I wouldn't be clean and sober doing all this they said get the fuck out of my house right now or we're putting you in rehab and i wasn't ready for rehab i had never been to rehab or anything like that so i said bye i'm getting the <laughs> hell out of your house and i spent this was best decision of honestly it was like the worst best the best worst decision of my life so at this point i think like we had me and my friend group of like dabbled in cocaine so my mom died like, I got stabbed, my mom died, lived with Cole. I was selling Cole's mom pills. Went and moved in with Zach. They caught me doing that shit, so I went and started going and hanging out with my street friends. And this is where my addiction got, like, the worst. I didn't have, there was nothing holding me back. I didn't have parents or anything like that. And, of course, I didn't, I didn't see this coping, man. I thought I was just having fun. I was like, ooh, I don't have a house to live anymore. Of course I'm not going to go to school. I can, this is what I've always wanted to do. Like, I don't need no education. And the night that I got kicked out of that house, my two homies, those wonderful, wonderful influences were like, let's go pick up some cocaine. Let's, let's go do that. And I was like, that sounds like a wonderful idea. After being kicked out of my house, no longer going to school and having all of my family banish me. Hell yeah, let's go do yeah. some drugs. You're just saying. Yeah. And we would just like, oh, it was awful, man. We would pick up at least every day and it was just the most it was to the point where i wasn't even talking to my grandma anymore i'm like my grandma's the only family i had left after my mom died i wasn't even talking to her anymore i was just we were religiously using drugs to the point where 
None of us were sleeping. None of us were eating. And I, coming from the more rough drug, like they just really like to smoke pot. And then they found cocaine. Well, oh, drugs. I had sold drugs. I had like seen heroin and smoked Percocet off of foil. I knew what drugs were. So I had more of a craving like cocaine sucks. Anybody that does cocaine will tell you it's like the fucking dumbest drug in the world. So we did it. And I went through that kind of four months. And I was like, okay, where's more? Like, give me the other stuff. Like, I need drugs, drugs. And I, oh my God, I remember this so vividly. We had this drug dealer named Polo. And he would plug us with cocaine. He like really liked me because I was kind of pudgy and I always sat in the back seat. So he'd be in the back seat. And he, me and him would always kind of bro out. And I got his phone number from one of those like backseat interactions. And I was like, hey, we're coming to pick up Coke. Like, what else do you have? Do you have anything stronger? And he was like, I got mess for you, bro. Let's do some shards. So in between me and Rachel and JJ would all go get Coke. I was getting a little bag of meth from you too. They didn't know that. I was just like, side deal. I was like, sick. Thanks, bro. And so we would do like fat lines of Coke sitting in the fucking Taco Bell parking lot of Everett. And then I would go in the bathroom of Everett and snort a little bit of meth. That was, that was it. I was like, this is my life. This is fire. And we did that for almost a year, man. Like we had no friends. All of us lost weight. Our hair was all like falling out. Like it was just, like we weren't taking care of ourselves. And it it I was, heard that's one of the uh, the myths about meth. I mean, I've heard, you know, you've probably heard about that whole thing that it like makes your teeth fall out and all this shit and make. But I, I've heard it's more about the people that use a lot of meth. They just stop taking care of themselves. So. It, yeah, it's not the meth itself. Yeah. Like the reason I have so many cavities in my teeth, not because <laughs> of the meth. And this yeah. is what I, it's because I didn't take care of myself. Like right. I did so much. Like when you're up for four days and you don't eat and you're like, or brush your teeth, or brush your teeth. it's just like all of those water. like mouth acids like i'm sure i ate an orange or something along that process mm-hmm. that's acidic like it just destroys your mouth and your whole body right. like, yeah it's it's whack so i think i was about 17 at this time and yeah i woke up on my 17th birthday and I, we had bought the like my my spot was this twelve-dollar couch we got from Goodwill, and our homie's room was pretty much like a crack layer at this point, like busted lines, like garbage everywhere. We kind of just walked in and fell to sleep, got up and went and did drugs for a couple of days, came back and just repeated that. And I woke up on my birthday and I was covered in hives because there was something on the couch that I was allergic to, like bad. Like my whole body was just like fluffy. And my like nose was all pouring and like scabby because I was just like itching it and picking it. And nobody texted me happy birthday. Not one person except for my grandma. I don't know why that was it. After four years of doing drugs and picking at scabs and sleeping, like literally sleeping under bridges, being stabbed, stealing from my like true loved ones to the point where they like kicked me out of the house and they were like, like, we can't do anything for you anymore. I woke up and I was just like, holy shit, man. Like, they're all right. Like, I can't do this anymore. And so I texted my friends and I was like, I need to go. Like, I can't do this anymore. They're like, we're picking up coke. And I was like, no. We're not. And uh, I have I have a lot of siblings. And I met two of my sisters at my mom's funeral when I was 13. Only time I talked to her. She lived in Everett, which is like up the road. Well, not up the road. It's a couple miles or a couple, like 45-minute drive. And I texted her and I was like, hey, like, I can't really give you too much information. Because, I mean, even at that time when I was 17, 17 and a half, 17, I didn't know why I was feeling these things. Like, I didn't realize that, like, at this point, after four years of doing it, my body was just worn out. I couldn't. There was no more any, like, 
it was no longer, the addiction wasn't enough. And I feel like everybody that goes through drug addiction, they eventually get to that point. Sometimes it's to the point of where you chewed up with a, a bad needle and you lose your whole arm, like Requiem for a Dream type beat. Sometimes you just do a drug one time, you overdose, and that's the awakening call. That's like too much for you. Did you ever, uh, you mentioned about the bipolar, because I know like the, like, especially like meth, that can get you kind of psychotic and stuff. Did you ever have any of those kinds of experiences? Oh yeah, it was it was when I would be off the drugs when it would be the worst. I uh, would not ever on it like, uh, and it was like, no, I wouldn't really like have any crazy psychoactive like people are talking to me stuff like that. I feel like I would just get really really high. Okay. Um, I would get like paranoid. Like I would like it would be the point where like I wouldn't think things in the car because I thought my friends would like would be thinking them. Like I would try to like just sing songs because I was like they're gonna just say what I'm thinking next. And that would freak me out, but I didn't get diagnosed with bipolar until after I got clean. And that's when everything made so much more sense to me. It's like, I would go binge and then off of the binge, I would have hallucinations and I would freak out and I would get super suicidal and stuff like that. And that's when it got like really, really bad as I got clean and finally felt like these what, like five, six years of drug abuse and neglect and all of my emotions just drowned and it went super hard and i was like whoa and my sister who was a nurse was living with me just kind of saw my behavior and was like asking like you're bipolar as shit dude like you like you need to go talk to your doctor you need to chill you need to chill and so i went and i got prescribed bipolar and like after that kind of ordeal my sister was like yeah like our other sister's bipolar mom suffers from bipolar grandma suffers from bipolar and then i kind of did like some more own self-research and i started talking to my grandma and i was like what was mom's drug of choice and Oh, and behold, it was cocaine and methamphetamine. And it was just like, there were so much similarities between me and my mom and going through our drug phase. It's just, she never got woken up as quick as I did. And I can't imagine how many, like, she, she went through it in like the 90s. When now I can say, hey, I'm bipolar. And there's like somewhat of an acceptance around it. Like even you, you're not sitting here talking to me thinking I'm all crazy because I'm bipolar. Do you take, I understand, um... but like, did you take medication for bipolar? How are you? I did. Yeah, I used to take Lamictal, and okay. I was on, I was on a pretty high dose, and then my insurance ran out, and so I'm kind of like I've been off my medication for almost a year. Now it's good. Yeah, it's been about it's been a longer than a year. It's been about a year and a half, and I'm still kind of just in between. But they want like three hundred and fifty dollars right. for like each prescription, which is monthly, and I can't afford that. That's yeah. insane. And I will say that if I didn't get clean, like let's just say I. I kept kind of dabbling in, in Percocet this entire time. Me being off my medication, like, it would, it would fucking end me. If I didn't go through all the, I don't know, the trauma I did to kind of understand what emotions are, how you feel, I don't think I would be able to, like, go through a day-to-day -day life without medication. Right. Now when I wake up in the morning and I'm, like, I'm going, I'm starting to kind of, like, rise, and I know that I'm going through, like, I'm going to have a manic week, has been, like, I don't just wake up sometimes and want to clean. That's not a thing that normal people feel. Like I feel like when I wake up and I have a burst of energy, I'm like, Aspen, step back. You're starting to get manic. Like you're going to start talking about a bunch of dumb shit. Just calm down. Like go talk to your girlfriend. And it's like, if I didn't go through all those drug induced rants at 3am on the highway, just like <gasps> freaking out. Like, I don't think I've ever would have known. I think, yeah, I don't, I, I, it's just crazy, man. I think the bipolar had so much more to play into me coping and doing the drugs 
than anything else. Like, I yeah, think my I perspective thought, is that often, like bipolar, like symptoms are, are uh, like related to experience all that kind of trauma that you went through. What now? I mean, some people have this idea that bipolar is purely genetic, but I mean, the way I like to look at it more, that it's more of a response to trauma that it is through your body. I would think so too, man. Like my mom, she was bipolar, but at the same time, like my sister, she went through some really, like I would say on the fence, like way more traumatic shit than I went through when she was a kid. She's bipolar. My mom was in a gang at like 17, was like jumped in and stuff like that when she was like my age. So. I would think that, like, yeah, like, you go through enough shit at a young age, you're kind of just going to freak a little bit somewhere. And I don't yeah. think, like, in a bad way, it's not like freak's a bad thing, but I definitely think, like, yeah, if I didn't get stabbed, didn't fuck over two families with my drug addiction, and didn't do all this and just had, like, a normal life, I don't think bipolar would – I don't think that would have ever been a question. I don't think nobody would have walked up to me and been like, hey, are you, are you bipolar, man? Like, that would you do? <laughs> nobody would have done it. It would have just been – they wouldn't have looked into mental state no at all so, so moving along how did you and, and ren uh, hook up and how how did you get into the the rap thing so i pretty much started making music when i was about 15 uh-huh it was like freshman year that's when i started like actually looking for like software and stuff to do the stuff i wanted to do because at the time i wanted to make more like electronic music and stuff right but i would say like junior year I was starting to like decline as a person, probably I would say more. <laughs> but no, I started like getting into like heavier, darker music and it just led to finding like, weird shit on SoundCloud and YouTube. And I ended up finding like people like Pete, Puya and the boys and all them. But I think it inspired me to like express myself, especially with the stuff that went on in my life. Cause my mom passed away when I was like two years old. Oh, again, wow. and all that. Yeah, if it wasn't and for SoundCloud and all that, we wouldn't think. So you guys hooked up through SoundCloud. In a sense, kind of, because I just had a bond for the music because we liked what they were doing pretty much for the most part. Like just the sound, like bringing in like the punk feels with yeah. actual like emotional lyrics, and then right. actually making sound cool and like the new sounds sure like it was something that we were both like fucking with head it was during the time like i don't want us to be like that guy but it was when that stuff was still underground it was when yeah. nobody really like <laughs> nobody really listened it was before the whole soundcloud thing blew up blew up so it was when they were still sitting at like twenty thousand plays on a song yeah. we were like dude the suicide boys like they're on some shit right now this is super cool and i had a my now ex-girlfriend was really good friends with Renato. And so she we was like, same high school she yeah. And they were like, she was like, dude, you guys are like the same person. And little did she know that that was like the best decision that ever happened to any of us. Like, he's like, we're like brothers at this point. Like we were with each other all the time. We lived with each other like last year. We've been through an insurmountable amount of shit too, just in like two years. But she introduced us just solely based off of that. We both like SoundCloud. She mm -hmm. was like, you guys are both really into this. Nobody else is. Like, you guys got to, like, me. It's like an Omega chat room. Yeah, it's like an Omega. interested in Ruby to Cherry. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I have a question for you guys. Um, there's a friend of mine that, like, that runs the emo night in Miami, and I was telling her about, like, about... 
I was talking to her about SoundCloud rap, and she said, "Oh, the the, the people that are the, that do that would be, be offended if you if you called it that." What's your take on that, dude? I think no. I'm on the <laughs> I think there's a lot of empowerment with SoundCloud because it gives artists the the opportunity to like really shape their sound and who they are as an artist without a label looming over their neck the whole time. Right. But like at the same time, that gives the opportunity for everybody to post anything on there. Yeah. So it comes with the stigmatism, like this. What's the what's stigmatism? Stigma. Almost stigma. Sound- It'd be stigma. Anyway. Comes with the stigma. <laughs> it comes with the stigma <laughs> that like that like any bullshit's gonna be on. There. Yeah. Like low key people don't like to hear the word cloud anymore. Yeah, and it's like I think when you if you like you get people like high feet about their music too, man. If you have this like me and him, if we were to like make this track that we're like, no, this is experimental trap, and then someone were to be like, no, that's emo, I could see how that would upset people and be like, no, nah, that's I'm not making emo music. But at the same time, I think that's a beautiful thing that you can like clash genres like that. Like twenty years ago. Emo wasn't even a thing, you know what I'm saying? Like, no, my chemical romance didn't exist. None of that was there. So now that I can make a beat on a laptop, which is like, they couldn't even do that 20 years ago either. Man. Like, it was like, we can do this with like EDM influences and then throw like emo deliveries on there. Yeah. Hell yeah, tell me my music's emo. Like, that's, yeah, I think that's good. Like, I don't. I don't think people, especially SoundCloud rappers, because there is a huge stigma around it. Like, I think it's funny when I tell people that I put music on SoundCloud. They're like, "Oh, really? Wall? Like, what kind of music is that?" But it's because there's a lot of the same kind of like wave riding kind of thing. But I don't know. I don't think you would have gotten kind of the same like genre clash and experimenting you would have without SoundCloud. Right. Everybody's. Like all these genres of like little people, like how you were saying, like how he's got like these punk kind of vibes with like rock and roll. And yeah, like the, the other guys I really pop. like. I was wondering if you like if you listen to him at all. Uh, little Zubin, you ever heard of him? Little Zubin, <laughs> no, I don't even know who that is. Yeah, you but he, is? but they call him. Uh, I think it's a good title for him. I'm originally from Philly, and he he's from Philly. Uh, I think he might live in LA, but he's from Philly, and he they call him the SoundCloud Weekend. Okay, this is the weekend. But his sound sounds, sounds like it's true if you listen to him. But 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 anyway, the the story I like about it. I read this interview, but listened to his interview about him that he he got the name Zubin because he was playing. I think the World of Warcraft. You know that game? Oh yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, I I'm not. I don't fuck with the game, but I've never. But anyway, but he was saying that he was playing that game in like when he was like 16, and he was playing this guy from India named Zubin. And then, and then some other guy, like he was going to play the Zubin guy, and then somebody told him, "Oh, look, Zubin, you know, Zubin killed himself," and that's that's what what he gave him the name, little Zubin. Oh, to kind of that's yeah. super cool. I that thought it was cool. a cool story. Yeah, that is a really cool story. Yeah. I don't think either of us got anything cool. I don't know. <laughs> no, you you got plenty of stories though. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, yeah. Thank you for kind of like bringing us on this this little talk. We. I don't with our music, man. We really just want to. The whole goal is to kind of like I can go through all this and like currently be off my medication and kind of like check myself in reality. I feel like not everybody can do it, but like some of you can. Like we're kind of just trying to inspire people to like have their own mind to to do what. Yeah, like if you're feeling something, like like question it. You know what I'm saying? Like why am I feeling this? I think you should always be questioning yourself, not in a bad way. But when I wake up in the morning, correlating to my bipolar, and I'm just like. I'm laying in there, I look at the clock, and I realize that it's 3.30, and I woke up at 9, and I've literally just sat in bed watching YouTube all day. 
the first question I think in my head is asking, why did you just do this all day? And then it's like, okay, must be declining. You're probably going through like a little bit of a dip. You need to get up and go outside for five minutes at least. Not really a whole lot, but it's better than just fucking staying and declining. I mean, if you don't check yourself and make sure that like, if you don't learn, if you don't live and learn, you're just going to keep all the way down. And I just think that like our music is going to be a great outlet to kind of, to share that. Like mm -hmm. my whole and how long? How long have you been uh, collaborating for? Uh, we've been meaning to collaborate for like a year and a half now but like along the way like building like stuff here and there like beats to use and like versus lyrics but i think we've mainly been like actually collaborating for about probably six months yeah, like that, yeah. we did a, a lot so when me and him first quarantine is helping a ton yeah it's giving us a lot of free time yeah. um but when me and him first met it was like, he was actually supposed to move down to Oregon. He was like, well, I'll stay and make music. And I kind of ashamed to say it, but he literally like didn't do a huge part of his life just because I was like, let's make music. And we just didn't for a really long time just because, I don't know, life happens. And so that was kind of like, wouldn't have made music in Oregon anyway. that's true, yeah. So for about a year of our friendship, there were just kind of that like pressure behind us to like make music and, and do that. And then we went through stuff with each other like my ex-girlfriend just literally like hey i'm over like they were really good friends yeah. for like seven years she just left one night and left us with all the bills how to figure out how to do everything like take over the lease and out of this like we were me and him were getting ready to be homeless and that was like super real because when i was 13 was homeless, homeless yeah and that's the whole reason he was living with us so you guys um working or going to school now both? We were both working. Yeah. What kind of work do you guys do? You were working at the hotel, right? I was working at a hotel. Actually, during that time, I, I was still jumping jobs. I had the gas station. I worked at the hotel, Ross, like a month. Yeah, it was rough. Yeah. He was in between hella jobs. It yeah. was just kind of whatever he would take. And I was, oh, God. I was working at Domino's Pizza, man. And it was doing that. The shittiest job. It was like I was on the I was the nighttime manager, so I would get there at like four thirty, and I would work till one a.m. and then I would go back to the apartment. Me and him would just like just hang out and drink. Like, Whoa! Like I go work at five in the morning. Yeah, and it was just <laughs> insane madness. And since going through that, and that is even more into like us realizing like at the time we didn't realize that was us coping with me living with my shitty girlfriend, who was literally just like mentally abusing us like belittling us all day just call us stupid awesome. yeah and it was just like that was in a sense us coping it was not nearly as bad it's not like we were like getting drunk and throwing it up on the floor but like we would drink some beers more than we you probably should it was it was a numbing thing yeah and then after going through that with each other like we won't even we barely drink now like people will be like hey do you want to drink and we're like nah, like why we don't really well, need well, to. on that note uh one of the things i want to mention is i, I think it's uh you know, Macklemore? Uh, Macklemore, obviously. Yeah, yeah, Macklemore. Yeah. Uh, but I feel he's like, it was a couple of years ago, he made some like recovery song. I feel like he's like the, like I, I found like at least some of the rehabs I worked at down here that all like everybody wanted to be, they're like, want to be a Macklemore. Want to be Macklemore. Yeah, see, I think if our aesthetic, it would be like the underground cool Macklemore. Yeah. I wouldn't want to take as much of like a like K-pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I feel you. But, 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 uh, yeah, the other, the other reason I was bringing it up is I feel like um, 
You know, really, you, I could see a little bit of resemblance between you, Aspen, and, and Macklemore in the face. <laughs> I wish. You look at man. Um, well, I, mean, I see a little yeah. bit. Uh, I mean, you look a little bit skinnier. He looks a little bit bigger, but your face, I see a little bit like a Macklemore. Might be my dad. I don't know my dad. Macklemore could be my dad. Oh. We're on to something here, Death. <laughs> um, I yeah, Macklemore. I don't really. I'm not gonna lie. I don't really. His music's a little like too. No, I, I find it cheesy myself. But but yeah, <laughs> but the fact that like he he did go through. I think his shit was alcoholism. I think he. I I think like he dealt with alcoholism. He thought he was gay in the fourth grade. And then a bunch of shit. And though. then he did talk about heroin or something like that. One of those songs. Yeah. So I think there needs to be a lot more of that kind of shit. Like if you look at the SoundCloud and just rap right now, it's all I have big guns, big drugs, big chains, and it's and like big ass dance and big Zans. <laughs> yeah, it's just all drugs and yeah. well, Macklemore. And I guarantee you, if little people that have survived this overdose, like they're the only two that are talking about the flip side of that. Like you. I mean, every fucking, like, shit, dude, you go and you watch interviews of, like, old big, like, drug lords that had all the money, they hated it. Yeah. Now that they're, like, just a normal guy, they're like, yeah, that was the most, they the didn't die because of it. If they didn't die because of it, yeah, they were like, that was awful. I had no friends. It's like, that's oh, yeah. all the rap game is right now. All the music people are making is the step before all the crazy shit happens. Like, right now, it's super cool to be popping Xanax and drinking weed. That's, that's an addiction. You're... Yeah, I mean yeah. yourself, and it's but, but, but I thought totally... there's been some uh, pushback against. It. I mean, I haven't been following all the, all the. I mean, there's the... a little bit, but it's not it's not enough, man. I mean, Lil Xan even tried to say he's like, I'm not gonna make music about Xanax anymore. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Still goes by Lil Xan and makes yeah. music about drinking meat. So what it's like to Diego. <laughs> yeah, what happened? You go by Diego. It's. I don't think that the it's still too cool. Like it's still too cool to do drugs yeah. and like love drugs and it's. What about yeah, that other guy? You, you listen to him, uh, Little Tracy? Oh, I, oh, I love Little Tracy. Tracy. You know, like, he loves him. I hate him. I like him, him yeah. Oh, Hell my yeah. God. You're just my beautiful nightmare. Yeah. I don't want to I can't. He's a good... I, I, you got to preach his musician. I can't hate him as a musician. He's kind of like... The, I like how campy he is for, like, the sound. <laughs> but I've seen it. You know, his father was uh, a musician. You know that story about his father? Oh, I didn't know that. No. Yeah, but he was in this... I believe it was the same guy... If, he was in this old school, like, not really that old school, but they were like maybe in the late 80s, early 90s, Diggable Planets. So I think he was in that. And uh, he had this other like side project called That sounds uh, super familiar. Cherry Wine. Cherry Wine is fall. And I saw his father perform in LA a long time ago. Dude, oh, that's cool. That'd be super we cool. We have to look up this. Yeah. That'd be crazy. They, had, they apparently had a strange relationship, they heard the two of them. But, but I mean, sense. looking at little Tracy, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> The other guy I like from that, like, uh, what about Cold Heart? You know that guy? Cold Heart, Cold Heart. I, he's Asian. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Yeah, I know who Cold Heart is. Yeah. He, he's okay. Yeah, <laughs> he's I, I like the stuff that has a little bit of that pop, set, like uh, not pop, yeah, the, uh, the punk kind of punk. Yeah, yeah, he, it's good he stuff. does he does a flat singing thing that a lot of the those guys do. You know what I mean? What like yeah, I think emo boys. Yeah, just really breathy. Who's that guy we heard that was really good? The Res Coast shit. Yeah, we we saw this. Uh, there's like another. Boys. See, this, right. this is one of the guys that's like that. I'm like, I wish would make way more music. So his name is Res Coast, and he's like, 
he actually has music I, to shit to make it that's like the the movement is Rezcos. his name's like grizz like g-r-i-z oh yeah it was like Rezcos and it was grizz his name was grizz but he's a native american and he's pretty much just rapping about like how hard it is being a native american in america and, like the daily cool. struggle to get but songs about just like emotion and stuff but there's like heavy lyrical influence. He doesn't talk about taking pills or nothing. None of that. No taking sound. pills. But it's the exactly. same sound and it's way fucking better, man. And that's kind of so like where better. we're at. Like we wanna like why does all these songs gotta be about doing drugs and fucking bitches and out of this like this right. it's meaningless. It's drugs gross. Are just so like deep rooted in the culture. It's that's it's what hard it is. To, like take it away from you. It is. It's like you so, can't Well I think it's about ultimately I mean what I like about it is the sound. I mean I mean they're like I guess if if you even if you think the the the, the drug the lyrics are stupid, you kind of overlook it because the it's catchy and it's. Uh... Yeah, I definitely, yeah. and I think, I I kind of hate to say it, but to a certain degree, like the drugs influence a little deep in all of their sound. Like right. from somewhere or another, they consume those drugs, produced some music, and we're like, this sounds good, and you hear shit differently like, when you're high on coke. You know what I'm saying? Like you're thinking, you're perceiving right. shit differently. But I, I don't know. I still kind of think that, like, I don't think it's a necessity. Like, I think that the game is so twisted, like, in quotes, the game. Shit's so twisted and it's so just, like, I'm going to say what I need to say and I don't care how true it is and or how, like, or how, what it is just as long as it sounds good and gets me famous. Like, you have people, I watched an interview with, uh, like, Genius Lyrics or whatever the hell they're called a couple weeks ago. And they brought some kid on to talk about his lyrics. And literally after every lyric, he's like, oh, yeah, I don't actually do this, though. Or I don't have this. And it's like, that is so much more, like, apparent. And, like, it, it's just fucking everywhere. You can yeah, no, I, I hate to cut you guys, guys off. But like, but, but <laughs> I just got to run. But any any little last last words? No, I, if um, anything, like, we plug our social media. Yeah, sure. Plug it. Yeah, plug it. Um, well, you can find me at Instagram, Wormwood Indicut, I-N-D-I-C-U-T. The SoundCloud, we got boy, Yo Goblin, Yo underscore Goblin. Yeah, that's about it. That's the only yeah. thing you can follow us. SoundCloud, SoundCloud is going to be Yo underscore Goblin, and Instagram is <laughs> Yo underscore <laughs> Yo underscore <laughs> Goblin, yeah. But, but anyways, the, the for... one, uh, the handle on SoundCloud you showed me, the, the Mr. Word thing, or... MC Wormwood. MC yeah, that Wormwood. one. I looked at it and I was trying to find the song I liked that I told you. I couldn't I couldn't find Lil it. Lil Bo, right the Lil Bo cover. Yeah. The Lil Bo e remix. Where's Lil Bo from? She's an Australian artist. Oh, wow. And uh, she made a cover of that song, the Twice. And it was just on YouTube. I think it was just straight up her playing piano and like raw yeah. vocals on it. And I decided to like remix it and just make this like sad little trap thing. And I tagged her on Instagram, and I did not expect her to, but she reposted it. Oh, nice. And I just all the plays on it, and a lot of people from her SoundCloud liked it. So it was really yeah. Cool. That, I mean, that's that was the sort of sound that that yeah that I like. Yeah, I also wanted to ask you, Ren, what type of what type of programs you use to uh, um mainly FL Studio, the goat. Oh, the, the goat of all products. FL Studio. Yeah. Yeah, we're still pretty a uh, garage right now. We're yeah, we're excited. I mean, like, there's gonna be improvements in the music. Real quick, right. I'll say this too before we cut this short. Is like, it's just gonna get better. Like, now that we're actually collaborating and we have the sound that we want to make, and I'm doing my screaming and he's rapping. Like, it's just gonna get better. We're gonna get more equipment. We know, like, we want to get like a turntable and shit like that. Just start having more fun with it. So it's definitely gonna evolve. 
All right. Yeah, All right. thanks for thanks, thanks for the talk, man. It was fun. Yeah. Have a good Have one, a good dude. One too.